Good morning to you and hi to those who are uh, joining us online. Great to have you here today. How are you all? Good. Good to hear it. Um, the coronavirus has kind of been right in our faces over the past um, week or two as far as news goes, hasn't it? Uh, I, I don't know whether you heard, but a couple of weeks ago the Holden uh, company decided that they were going to stop their brand altogether at the end of this year. And um, my gorgeous hunky husband is a Holden lover. He's actually a Holden collector. He likes to buy um, very old, run-down, beaten-up old Holdens so that he can one day restore them to their earlier glory, their former glory. He has four of them. And uh, so he's wondering whether he has the car owner virus. Um, but I, I, as I was... Um, over this past week, as we've been hearing about the, the various tragedies, and it, it, it is a tragedy and it's um, a difficulty and a challenge that we face right across the globe and especially in China and our, our hearts are with people who are suffering. Um, but the one thing that I have appreciated, if I'm allowed to say that, is just um, Facebook over this last week. It's actually been quite a lot of fun. And uh, so our ability to have this collective experience where we can poke fun at one another and we have toilet paper gate. I don't know whether you have uh, been into the, the supermarket trying to find some toilet paper for your precious butt, but uh, you haven't been able to. And for that, I am extremely sorry for you, but it has actually created some really good quality memes on Facebook. So I wanted to share a couple of those today. Um, this first one, this is how uh, Australians protect themselves against coronavirus. Apparently, uh, just buy as much toilet paper as you possibly can and just cover yourself with it and that will protect you. Um, this next photo is actually one that was taken in Adelaide. Really, truly. A store owner there decided that this would be pretty fun, and so um, because of the scarcity of the toilet paper, is uh, you can take your, you can try your luck, and they're making some money off that. I can tell you, um, that is actually uh, true, and, and a photo taken by a friend of my husband's, um, Jared, here there in Adelaide. So that's great. Um, this is my personal favourite of the week. If you run out. Finally, there is a use for a Collingwood scarf. <laughs> Just wash it and keep on going. I love it. It's, it's awesome. So the, the thing about this past week with Toilet Paper Gate is that it has allowed us to have a little bit of collective fun, a collective experience together, even though we're in the midst of, you know, a lot of just wondering what's happening next and, and where it will all be going and, and uh, people who are unsure of the future. The reality is uh, we have a God who sees it all and he is not shocked or surprised by anything. He sees it and he knows and we can trust in him. There is something powerful and profound about being a part of God's family and being part of a community that has hope. And so we need to be able to, to push into that and to... Um, just connect with each other in that. You see, some, a situation like this has the potential to tear us apart, but in actual fact, what it also can do is it can bring us together. And a collective experience usually does that. You know, when we have a, a, a tragedy or something big that happens on a large scale, what happens is this collectivism where we kind of come together and we all have a common experience. And whether that's laughing at toilet paper gate or uh, collectively being concerned about the future, 
it brings us together. It gives us a collective experience. And it's actually a good place for me to start, actually, because we're, we're starting a new series today called This Is Us. And this series is going to be looking at family, what it is to be family. And family is actually one of those things where we find a collective experience that does pull us together, collective traditions, collective experiences that make us one unit, that make us connected to each other and make us uh, connected as family. And so we're going to be looking over these next few weeks at, at various aspects of family. But I want to start today with talking about what it is to be extended family because God has always intended for us to be connected as extended family. I don't know whether you can think about something uh, from your childhood maybe or, or something that was part of your nuclear family experience that was like a collective experience that created or connected you as a family, whether it was some sort of a, a tradition that made you who you were as a family. For me, as I, I look at this table here and, uh, and all of these place settings, it reminds me of a tradition, a collective experience that we had when I was growing up in my nuclear family where we would, um, every Sunday, mum would get up and she would start making the roast. And it would always happen quite a long time before we had to leave for our church service on a Sunday morning. She would get up, she would prepare the meat, she'd put the meat on, and then we'd start preparing the vegetables, and, and often she would call us to come and start peeling potatoes, and there's usually carrots and parsnip involved, um, kumara, which is, you guys call it um, sweet potato. And, uh, and we would peel all of that, and then Dad was called every week to come and cut the pumpkin because, I don't know, there was something about the pumpkin back then that it, was, it had a really tough rind, and so Mum couldn't, didn't have the strength to do it, so he would have to come and peel the pumpkin and then chop all of that up, and then that would be left there so that it could be roasted up with the meat later on. And there was always a huge amount of food, a huge amount, far more than a family of six would be able to eat. And the reason that she would do this every week is that we would then go to church with the express purpose of finding, well not the only purpose, go, of finding a family to bring home for lunch. And that was what we did every week. We would go to church, we would find someone, we would invite them back for lunch and our house would be this place of hospitality where people, we would set the table, we would sit around the table or we would sit um, in the lounge room and we would eat our roast dinner that mum had prepared beforehand knowing that there would be more than us at the table. That was one of our collective experiences as I was growing up. And then that evening we would go off to uh, church again and we would invite the whole youth group home to our place. And on a Sunday, it was just known that the Squire household was the place that you would go for hospitality and food. Uh, it, it was open home, especially on a Sunday. It was open home the rest of the week as well, but especially on a Sunday. That was one of the, the traditions, the collective experiences that I grew up with as a kid that helped me to understand this is who our family is. This is what connects us, this collective experience. Well, Jesus speaks of a collective experience as well uh, that ties family together. And we find it in Mark chapter 3, starting from verse 31. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. And standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So as far as Jesus was concerned, 
What made family family wasn't blood, wasn't being a blood relative. What made family family was the collective experience of doing the will of God. Those who do the will of God, those are my family. Those are the people who I bring into my inner circle. And Jesus started to uh, spread the gospel via this extended family that he created through his disciples. Now, it's fascinating, really, because it's not such a change, really, from the way that God had initially set things up. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, he comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with him. And he starts to say to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Literally, those words are all of the tribes, all of the families will be blessed through you, through your family, through your tribe. See, God had always meant for the family, for the extended family to be the vehicle for his mission to this earth. Always that was his plan. Family is meant to be the vehicle for the mission of God. And then when Jesus speaks about family, he expressly makes a point of saying, I mean extended family, people who are connected by this common collective experience, those who do the will of my father, they are my family. So not that nuclear family would be the vehicle for the mission of God, but that extended family, blood and not, would be the vehicle for the mission of God, would be the vehicle for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus. That was always the plan. And when you look at the life of Jesus throughout the gospels, you see time and again, he sits around dinner tables with people. He invites himself into people's homes usually, and he sits there across food. And, and as they share with food, they share conversation He finds out about people, he teaches people, he influences people. And through this common experience of hospitality, he finds extended family and he creates these family units and that's the vehicle for the gospel. And as the New Testament continues on, we see this tradition continue on through the disciples after the ascension of Jesus. We see the disciples going into new places, into new locations and gathering around them people within those locations and creating them into extended families. Church plants within the walls of someone's home. Paul goes to Lydia's house and and she invites him to stay. She invites the party of people that he had with him to stay at that time. They become her extended family. She becomes their extended family. And this fascinating thing happens throughout the New Testament where, as Luke is telling us in Acts about how the gospel spreads, he's, he's talking about disciples and discipleship relationships right up until Acts chapter 21. And after Acts chapter 21, we never hear the word disciple used again. Never again in the New Testament. And the reason is simple. Disciple, rabbi was a relationship understood in Jewish circles. Very common for people in, Jewish, in a Jewish context to understand what rabbi and disciple was, what that relationship looked like. But as the gospel started to spread right throughout the Greco-Roman Empire, the disciple-rabbi relationship wasn't commonly known. And so as the missionaries were out and they were spreading the gospel and they were teaching people about Jesus, they had to find different language to be able to express what that relationship looked like and they found it in the life of Jesus. 
They found it when Jesus said, those who do the will of my father and my mother and my sisters and my brothers. And so they started to use the language of family. After Acts chapter 21 and right throughout the letters of the New Testament, you read again and again the words brother, sister, father, son, family language used again and again and again. And it's not just family language that's used, it's family strategy that's used. Because these disciples, these uh, missionaries of the gospel understood that the vehicle for the mission of God and the vehicle for the gospel was going to be family, extended family. And so Paul goes into all of these different places and each place that he goes to, he finds himself key people who will be part of that extended family. And you read at the end of each of his letters, he says, give my greetings to this person, this person, this person, this person. There are just copious amounts of people that he speaks of by name in each of the places he goes to because he has created an extended family in each of those regions and that extended family becomes the vehicle for the gospel of God. It has not changed since then. It hasn't changed since then. God's desire for us is to see each other and to surround ourselves as he surrounds us with people who can be called extended family, people who we will treat as family, people who we will bring into our lives as family, do life with as family. You know there's a difference between just fleeting relationships and family relationships? In a family, you can be honest, right? Far more honest than you are with people who are not family. We have this nice veneer of politeness for everyone else. Oh, you're in that sphere, so I'll be polite with you. But if you're a family member, well, you know, it's nice to be polite. But there'll be times when honesty is required and the politeness might take a back seat. It means that we can challenge each other. It means we can be honest with each other. It means that we can spur each other on in life. We can start to tell the truth to each other in love. We can speak seeing the weaknesses and the strengths of people within the family dynamic that we wouldn't see outside of the family dynamic. And this is why God has placed people around us that he expects and hopes that we will treat as extended family. Now, I want for us to have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 today because Paul writes to Timothy here with a very familial tone. In fact, in verse 2, just before what we're about to read, he says, To Timothy, my dear son. So he actually uses this family language. They're not related by blood, but Paul sees himself as a spiritual father to this man, Timothy. And this is what he says in, in verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now this is a a, a wonderful opportunity for us to have a little peek into really a personal letter. Paul wasn't expecting that 2,000 years later we'd be reading it and building our theology on it. He was writing it to his son in the faith, to Tim, Timothy. And he was saying, I know some things about you. And so I want to speak into those things that I know about you. There is a level of intimacy in this letter 
that is quite extraordinary actually for us to read. He's saying, I know where you came from. Now we also know because Luke tells us in Acts that Paul and Barnabas were going on their first missionary journey and they came to a place in in what is current day southern Turkey uh, called Lystra, this town, and uh, they performed a miracle there. They healed a man and the people tried to worship them and then some others came and started to uh, spread rumors about them and then the people tried to stone Paul. And this is the place where Timothy was, probably as a teenager at that time. During that time, Paul and Barnabas planted a church. They found some people who believed the gospel and they took the gospel on and they began to worship God. They began to follow Jesus and this church was planted. Sometime later, Paul returns with Silas and as they return through this place, they take Timothy with them on their missionary journey. They go all the way throughout Greece, planting churches. And eventually, after a number of years, Paul places Timothy as the head, the, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, the most influential city outside of Rome at that time. And he's writing this letter to him here. And he says, I remember where you came from. I know about the faith of your mother And I know about the faith of your grandmother. I saw it. But here's the fascinating thing. All three of those people, Timothy's mother, Timothy's grandmother, and Paul, all claim family status, even though only two of them are blood-related. All of them claim influence status of Timothy, even though only two of them are blood-related. Paul says, you are my son. He has brought him into family. He has been doing life with this guy. He has been influencing him. He has been investing in him. And he knows him in an intimate way. He says these words, recalling your tears, I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. You see, Paul knows something there that we don't know about Timothy. Timothy was dealing with something. He was upset about something. He was dealing with some kind of a hardship that Paul was aware of that we don't know about. He has this level of understanding and intimacy with this guy. You can understand and sense the intimacy in their relationship. And then he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which was in your mother and your grandmother. And then he says these words, and I'm persuaded it lives in you also. So Timothy is dealing with doubt. He's dealing with some kind of inhibition, something that is holding him back from what God is calling him to. And Paul is just calling it out as a family member does. A fleeting relationship won't necessarily go there. But Paul's going there and saying, I actually want to address this head on and I want to see you do well. You see, Jesus said, those who do the will of my father are my family. And so Paul's making sure that Timothy understands what it is to step out of the the doubt or the fear or whatever it is he's experiencing at that time so that he can run headlong into doing the will of the Father because that is the common experience that is going to bring him together in family. Paul continues on and he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our God or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
Oh, I love this. He's, he's saying to him, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the sincere faith of your mother and your grandmother. I'm persuaded it now lives in you. So this is what I want to say to you. Fan into flame that, what God has given you. Fan into flame that faith. Fan into flame those gifts that he's given you. Make sure that you keep running the race. Don't allow yourself to be sidelined by the plans of the enemy, but run. Keep going. Keep fighting the fight. Keep doing what God has called you to. Make sure you do the will of the Father. He encourages him. Fan into flame the gift God gave you. He says to him, be filled with the Spirit. Because, hey, guess what? I know that you're afraid. I know that you're worried. I know that you're timid. I know that you're fearful. But guess what? The Spirit is a Spirit of power. And so if you're filled with the Spirit, then you will have power. Be filled with a spirit who is love. Be filled with a spirit who is a spirit of self-discipline. Make sure that you are a man who is chasing after the spirit of God so that you will end up doing the will of the Father. He's essentially saying to him, assure that you are charging headlong into what God has for you and not being sidelined by fear. He's saying don't focus on your own confidence or lack of it, but rather be focused on God's power. Paul is saying to Timothy at this point, come on. I know what's in you more than you know what's in you. And you can do this. I am spurring you on. You see, it takes a a family relationship to be able to call out weakness. Point at it. And then spur someone on to be who God intended them to be. And that's what Paul is doing here. And then I love the next point. He says to him, he says, join me in suffering. Join me in suffering. You see, a a fleeting relationship might say, I can see your suffering. That's really hard. Gee, that sucks. I'm sorry. Maybe it'll get better. A family relationship goes, yep, life sucks, does for me too. But if we do this together, we're going to get to the other side. Because you can face suffering and you can face cost when you are together. When you are joined and committed to each other and you see that it is part of the plan of God and you see that God is getting his will done even through that suffering, you can manage it. Paul says, join me in suffering. Hey, guess what? I know that this life is hard. I know this faith is hard. I know that this gospel spread is difficult for you. I know the opposition that you have. Hey, look at my opposition as well. Guess what? We're in it together. We're side by side. I'm not leaving you. Even though I am far from you, we are connected as family. We have a common collective experience, and it is that we are doing the will of the Father. This is what God intended for us. And so as he surrounds each of us with people, he hasn't just put them there so that we would see them as fleeting relationships. He hasn't just put them there so that we could see and look out and go, wow, God's people are numerous. He's put them there so that we could be connected in a familiar relationship, one that opens up permission to each other and says, I have invited you in as family, therefore I give you permission to challenge me. I give you permission to spur me on. I want permission from you to challenge you. 
I want permission from you to spur you on so that you can do the will of the Father, so that you can reach the potential that God has given you, to see those relationships he's surrounded us with as extended family, the vehicle for the mission of God, that we would be intentional that we would be able to see the people around us and invest in them and ask for them to invest in us. This is God's plan, that we would spur each other on to do the will of the Father and to follow the voice of Jesus. That is what he's calling us to. So my question to you today is, with the people that he's placed around you, are you intentional with them? Have you given them permission to speak into your life, to challenge you? Have you asked for permission to speak into their life and to challenge them? For some of us, we've actually allowed the enemy to steal away some of those relationships from us because there have been words spoken that we thought were too harsh or there's been something that has happened or something that's been done or said and it's ripped us apart. And God's wanting to bring us to a place where we are prepared to forgive and invite back in and restore those relationships because he placed us with those people as a gift. That we don't have to do this life alone. We don't have to do this faith alone. Actually, we're meant to do it connected in family, life with each other. Women, you know how you feel like you have to do everything? I'm right, right? You feel like you have to do it all. And you're usually wandering around huffing and puffing under your breath that you have to do it all, even though you didn't ask for help because, you know, you have to do it all. So why would you ask for help? Are there people in your world who can speak into that? People in your life who can say to you, guess what? You actually can't. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you'll never be enough. Let me tell you that right now. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much you do. It'll never be enough. Have you got people in your world who can say to you, stop, rest? Have you got people in your world who will take some of that load? Have you got people in your world who are prepared to say to you, some of that load is actually not as important as you think it is? Men, have you got people in your world who know and understand you well enough to know where your weaknesses are and to stop you before you do something irreparably irreparably stupid? I mean, women can do stupid things too, but I won't finish the sentence. Have you got people in your world who are going to speak into that and see it before it happens and keep you and spur you on to do the will of the Father, spur you on to follow the voice of Jesus because God has placed around each of us those potential relationships. The question is, are we going to see them for what they are? Are we going to invest in others, allow others to invest in us and build that intentionality around extended family? Because that's God's will for us. I wonder if you'd stand just where you are right now. I'd love to lead us in a time even just where we ask God. We just ask Jesus, who is it that you've got in my world? And for some of us, we're going to need to confess that we've got relationships that God placed around us for our benefit and we have allowed those relationships to be stolen from us 
we're going to find ourselves in a place where we need to forgive. And for others of us, we're just going to need to be able to see who God has placed in front of us and choose to, to say yes, to be intentional about that investment. Some of us, we're going to need to have a conversation with someone and say, hey, I give you permission to challenge me. I want you to be one of those people who knows me well enough to just challenge me outright. And I want to hear what you have to say. So let's just, uh, I'll lead you through it. Let's um, bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's ask the Lord who he places in our mind. Father, I thank you for family. I thank you that you created us to do life together. You created us not to be alone, but to be in relationship, to rely on each other, to love each other, to serve each other, to spur each other on. And Lord, right now, we just want to know, is there a relationship in our world that you need for us to reconcile, a relationship that you had given us as a gift and we allowed that to be stolen from us. For whatever reason that is, is there a person you need us to reconcile with and to forgive? And if there is, Lord, I pray that right now by your Holy Spirit you would place that person front and centre in our mind's eye. someone that you have placed around us or someone that you have navigating their way around our lives at the moment that you want for us to invest in. Someone, someone you want us to be appalled to. Someone that you want for us to spur on to do your will. Someone you want us to um, challenge and to be in the life of so that we can see them thrive as a person. Lord, is there someone that you want us to invest in? And if there is, I, I pray you place that person front and centre in our mind's eye right now. And Lord, I finally I just want to ask, is there someone that you want investing in us and you want for us to openly give them permission to do so? Is there someone that you have placed around us that you want to be far more involved in our spiritual development that we, than we have allowed that to happen? Someone you want us to invite in as a spiritual parent to invest in us. And if there is, then Lord, I pray that you would place that person right now in our mind's eye. And then I want to thank you, Lord, for the gift that you have given us. The gift of people, the gift of family, the gift of collective experience, the gift of being able to serve you and honour you, the gift of being able to do your will, the gift of being able to spur each other on to do your will. And so, Lord, we want in this moment, as you have spoken to us, as you have placed those people before us, our answer to you is yes. Our answer to you is yes. We will choose to forgive. We will choose to pursue those people. We will have those conversations. Our answer to you is yes. Even right now, if that's you, then just say yes to him. Yes, Lord. 
Yes, Lord. I will do that. Yes, Lord, I commit to that. 